Well, good morning. Well, it feels a little chilling here, <laughs> but it's good because we get to stay awake for the Word of God, right? <laughs> so uh, as we have been in the book of Matthew, we're going to continue our series in the book, studying about Jesus and who He is in our lives and growing in the Lord in the process. So if you will, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We allow the Word of God to take place in our hearts um, this part of the service because we believe it's the Word of God that changes us and the Word of God that glorifies God the most as we come before it. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Still here in the Sermon on the Mount, moving through, but it's been very, very rich for us, every phrase and every sentence that Jesus speaks here. Matthew chapter 13, or chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Bow with me in the word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before your word. We know, God, that your word is truth and your word is light. Father, we desire to live according to your word. We desire to have our lives transformed and conformed to your will. So, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes to see you, Lord. We know, Lord, when we see you, we desire nothing but you. So open our eyes to see you, see your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The presence of light can change the way you look. See, the presence of light can change the way you look. As we approach the new year, we're considering some New Year's resolution for our lives. I had a New Year resolution once for a time in my life. I was considering setting up a YouTube channel, a YouTube channel to read some children's stories, to make some extra income, you know, because if you're on YouTube, what you can do is a lot of people watch your show or watch your channel. Um, You can put advertisement on the YouTube. You can monetize your channel, and those people who watch your channel, they're shown these advertisements, and advertisement will or the makers of this advertisement will pay money to YouTube and YouTube will give you a fraction of that money. So you can make some money off of YouTube. I was thinking about doing some YouTube, but I decided against it for one reason or the other because I didn't have time, but I was doing some research. I can show you some research ideas, research on how do you make YouTube videos. And I found out that one of the things that you must have to make YouTube videos with is a ring light. I don't know if you know what a ring light is. It's basically a beauty light for yourself. It's a light that looks like a ring, and in the middle is hollow, so you can put your camera or your iPhone inside that ring. And that you show yourself through that camera, but the light shows your face. Apparently, what the light does is that it makes you look beautiful or pretty. You see, under this particular light, under this particular setting of light, you look more attractive than you would under normal light. Certainly light makes a big difference in how you look. 
You see, as much as we, in our lives, even in YouTube or in making videos, try to reflect our best self for other people to see, the reality is that our inward heart is the same. No matter how beautiful we look on the outside, our inward heart is sinful. If we look honestly in our own hearts, we know that we are corrupted on the inside. We sin in our lives all the time. And those people who see us and those people who know us know that we sin. We might say unkind words to people at times, and certainly we can't admit to that. We might do unkind things to others at times, and certainly that is true of our lives. We sin in our hearts in jealousy and anger and bitterness, and certainly we see that way in our interaction with the people we love, even our spouses, and we, we know that those sins exist in our lives. However, not only do we sin against others, we also sin against God. We sin against God by not believing unto Him, by disobeying Him, and by not submitting to Him. See, no matter what we look like on the outside, even though we may look beautiful, we may look stunning with different kinds of lights that are reflecting off of our faces, the reality is that on the inside, we are not beautiful at all. See, we're sinners before God, and we know of a holy God who cannot tolerate sin, a holy God who is pure, a holy God who is completely righteous, then we would know that we are due that eternal judgment in hell by that holy God. Jesus, however, He loves us, He cares for us, desires not to judge us, not to send us to that eternal punishment, but wants us to glorify Him and not ourselves, to reflect Him and not ourselves. So He came to earth and lived a perfect life. In His perfect life, Jesus then died on the cross for our sins. He did not die for His own sins because He never sinned in His life, but rather He died for our sins. He paid for the penalty of our sins. And as He paid for the penalty of our sins, He also gave His complete, perfect, righteous life to us. By giving us His perfect, righteous life and by paying for our penalty, He made us pure before God so that we may be restored unto that relationship with God. Having that restored relationship with God, He then calls us to reflect Him. He then calls us to represent Him to others in this world. And that is exactly what we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. We're called to represent Jesus. We're called to tell other people about Jesus. See, in this world, we can live for ourselves. We can glorify ourselves. We can make ourselves beautiful by putting on makeup, by putting on ourselves beautiful lights, show others what we look like in the camera. However, we're only glorifying ourselves. We're not reflecting our true Savior to this dying world. But if we do truly reflect Jesus Christ, if we truly tell other people about Jesus Christ and make it our goal and ambition to tell people about Jesus, Jesus, He saves us because we believe unto Him, but He also utilizes our testimony to bring more people to salvation, and we want that. We want more and more people to know Jesus because we love people, we desire for other people to love Him as well. As we receive salvation in Christ, God tells us here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13-16, to tell people about Jesus. 
We're called to tell people about Jesus. We're called to courageously present Jesus to this world. And the first way which we find how we can present Jesus to this world is by this. It's by faithfully loving or by faithfully living for Jesus. We're called to represent Jesus Christ by faithfully living for him as salt of this earth. We're called to faithfully live for Jesus and represent him in such a way by living as salt of the earth. Read with me now here in verse 13. You're salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus here is clearly speaking on a life, on a life that's fully lived for him, a life that is fully lived for him can influence this world for him. See, after speaking on the Beatitudes, which are a series of characteristics that define a believer in Christ, we found out that those who belong to the kingdom are going to be poor in spirit, they're going to mourn over their sins, they're going to cry out to God for mercy, they're going to seek after God's righteousness, they're going to be pure in heart, and last week we found out that they're going to be persecuted for Jesus. They're going to live for Jesus, and they're going to be persecuted for him. Proclaiming Jesus Christ is going to result in persecution. In light of that line of reasoning, Jesus now continues to expand on what it means to live out God's righteousness in front of other people by using the illustration of salt. Now, salt carries many functions in Jesus' days, more function in our days, perhaps, because People use salt for many, many things in Jesus' days. And it was precious for those reasons. We're going to look at some of the functions of salt in Jesus' days and to understand why Jesus uh, compared believers with salt. First of all, perhaps the most important function of salt in Jesus' days was to what? Was to preserve food. That is the most important function of salt in Jesus' day. Jesus He spoke of salt in such a way to remind people that we ourselves as Christians are here to preserve this world from going from bad to worse. Now, what people did with salt was this. They traded salt, they bought salt for this reason. They would like to preserve meat for as long as they can. Meat is expensive. Now, meat can go bad quickly. A fly can land on the meat, and you produce maggots, and all of a sudden, the meat is bad. However, if you put salt on top of the meat, what happens? You can cure the meat. You cure the meat, the meat stays around much, much longer. And certainly, that is what people did with meat back then. They would rub salt into the meat. In the same way, the world is undergoing spiritual decay because the world does not seek after God. The world which you live in does not believe in God, does not want anything of God, is continually questioning things of God. It questions God's way and God's laws. So therefore, throughout this world, as you live in this world, you're going to find out that people are beginning to accept more and more into their lives what is normative for them, but is actually called sin in God's word. It is sin, but people are beginning to accept it as normative way of living for their lives. So the world is going to constantly go through this spiritual decay because they do not believe in God. However, the presence of believers are going to carry an opposite effect. 
It's going to preserve this world from going under this spiritual decay. This world which we live in are going to feel somewhat reluctant to live in sin in the presence of those who are living in holiness for God. Certainly this is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, where Apostle Paul declares that the unbelieving spouse is sanctified because of the believing spouse. The unbelieving husband is going to live a holier life because of the believing husband or believing wife. The believing wife or the unbelieving wife is going to live a holy life, a holier life, because of the believing husband. Their lives are sanctified because they live with each other. They want to live in a way that makes sense for them because the unbelieving husband must somehow live in a relationship with the believing wife then he's going to live in a more godly way. So we sometimes experience this in our lives as well. Those of us who are married to an unbelieving spouse, we know that our actions are actually keeping that unbelieving spouse from going to spiritual decay. This is true, not just in family relationships, not just in husband-wife relationships. This is true in every relationship, in friendships, in relationships at work. We ourselves are preserving this world from going back to worse. We are slowing down and reining in the progress of sin wherever we go. Now, as much as Christians slow down the corruption and decaying of this world, that is the spiritual decay, salt was also used for other purposes. Salt is not just used to slow down the decay of meat. Salt was also used for medicinal purposes. You heard the phrase, pouring salt upon the wound, right? Now, people in Jesus' days, they actually did that for medicinal purposes. Salt was mixed into water and poured onto wound to wash out the wound as much as we will wash out wound with a saline solution here at the hospital. Salt was used to clean out the wound because salt itself carries the characteristic of being able to wash out the wound or wash out the bacteria by the process of osmosis. So it helps with the antibacterial as well as the anti-inflammatory process. In our days, many of you still do this, you might gargle salt water, right? Whenever your throat doesn't feel well, you gargle salt water into your mouth because you know that salt water is able to deter and cleanse out whatever bacteria that's in your throat. So salt does that. Besides preservation and cleaning, see, we also clean Whenever we go, as Christians, we're cleaning from this, this world from decaying from the proliferation of sin. Besides preservation and cleaning, salt was also used to hydrate the body. It was used such a way in Jesus' days, but it's also used in such a way in our days. Athletes popping salt pills, salt tablets, into their mouth whenever they exercise in order to keep themselves thirsty. They will continue to drink water because they're thirsty so that they will not be dehydrated. Believers exist in this world as salt in such a way that we're there to remind people of the true need for Jesus. We exist to help people understand that they need Jesus and without Him, they would die that eternal death. We're there to remind them of their need for Christ. We keep them thirsty for Jesus. Besides now preservation, medicinal use, hydration, perhaps the most familiar use of salt that we can all understand is for the flavor. They used salt for flavoring as well in the Old Testament. In Job chapter 6, verse 6, Job said, Food or meat is tasteless 
without salt. And that is true. Food is tasteless without salt. And certainly we know that to be our experience as well. We add flavor to this world in this way. Believers in this world add flavor to this world because many people in this world who are drawn to Jesus feel tired of their sins and the pointlessness of their lives. They see no real purpose of their lives, so therefore when believers enter this world, we're showing other people if they choose to believe in Jesus, they're going to live a more abundant and more joyful life. They're going to live a life which God created for them to live. We add flavor to this world. Now, given salt can preserve It can clean, it can hydrate, it can flavor. Salt was a rather precious commodity in Jesus' days. Soldiers were oftentimes paid in salt, or they were paid in allowances to buy salt. Salt was traded, almost as gold was traded. We even received the phrase, to be worth one salt. That means that you're worth what you're earning, if you're worth your salt, that is. So salt was very precious, and given that salt is very precious, it is important for people to understand that they're really, really buying salt. Now, salt was sold in batches. It's sold in sometimes as a rock salt, a big rock. They want to make sure that that is indeed salt. What happens if it's not salt? Well, that actually happens. You see, salt, in our days, salt is purified. It's purified through a purification process, and therefore you know that it's 100% salt. That is not always the case in Jesus' days because people must dig up salt from the ground. They dig up salt from the Dead Sea where there's lots of salt. However, given the fact that it is digging up with many, many other kinds of earthly material, it is oftentimes impure. And if it is impure, it can lose its saltiness. Now we know that Jesus here speaks of the salt losing saltiness and we question that because we think, you know what, how can salt lose its saltiness? If it's salt, how can it be anything other than salt? Salt is a chemical compound, NaCl. It's the most stable compound in the world. It cannot be anything other than salt. The only way that salt can lose its saltiness is if it's impure. And that is what Jesus is talking about. People, and oftentimes a dishonest merchant, would add gypsum to the salt. What that is, is that gypsum is something that looks like salt, but is not salt. It's cheaper than salt. So added to the salt, it puffs up. The quantity of what you are buying and looks like it's salt. You bought it, you take it home, you taste it, and it tastes nothing like salt. It's not salt. So the only thing that can happen to that batch which you just bought is to throw it away. You can't remove whatever gypsum, whatever impurity, whatever earthly material from that batch. It's gone. Now you came and pour it onto the field because there's some salt in there still, my new amount. It might kill the grass or kill the plants in the field. So the only place you can pour it, here in verse 13, Jesus says, is on the street. Pour onto the street where it's thrown out, it's trampled under people's foot. So believers serve as salt, as salt was used in Jesus' days. Believers, we affect the world, we preserve this world from going from bad to worse, we're salt in that way. We also act as antibacterial agents, to clean this world. This world is full of filth. Our presence cleans up this world. Salt does that. We lead others to thirst for Jesus. Salt does that. We flavor the world by offering the world a greater purpose to live for Jesus. Salt does that. We affect the world greatly and deeply for God. 
in the way which we live. However, we become purposeless. We become worthless, as Jesus says, if we lose our saltiness. How do we lose our saltiness? By becoming impure. That is what Jesus is talking about. Impure salt is worthless in Jesus' days. We become impure when we live just like the world, when we're completely saturated with sin in our lives, just like the world is. And if we are that way, we're purposeless, we're worthless in representing God to this world. I remember for me, I worked for the corporate environment for many, many years as a pastor and also um, after I become a pastor here, I, I quit that job. But as a pastor, I worked in a corporate environment for about five years. And, uh, oh, this is actually, um, but before that, as a young man in my 20s, I started working in a corporate environment when I was about 22 or so. So it's almost 20 years ago. And um, I started working with a bunch of older men. Now, if you ever work in a corporate environment, in an engineering environment, or even a lab environment where you're just working with men, you know how the conversation can turn into. It's become man-centered quick. Now, if you're the only woman in a man environment, you can tell this too, right? You don't want to be in that conversation when that conversation comes around. Sexual references everywhere. And as a young kid, I have no idea what people are talking about. I have no idea. Literally, I did not know any of the references. I was just coming in. I was, I was coming to church. I was coming in. It's like, what, what does that mean? That keep, keep your innocence, Richard. I was a young kid. One time I was invited to go to the work after hangout work party and it was happening at a restaurant called the Wild Goose. I was like, you know what, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go and hang out with these people. Perhaps, you know, I can build friendship with them and share the gospel. I looked up the directions to Wild Goose. It was in El Segundo. Don't go there. Turned out to be a strip bar. Okay? It's a strip, it's a, it's a new sports bar. I said to the Christian who was next to me, it's like, hey, I thought you were going to this. I thought you were going to this. This is, a, this is a strip bar. We shouldn't be going to this thing. You know what he said to me? He was an older man. He said, you know what, Richard? You, oh, yeah, you better not go. You know, you're still young. Keep your innocence. And he laughed it off. He went. As if there's a difference between how God's calling for a young Christian and God's calling for an older Christian. If there's a difference... Maybe because this man feels that he's older, he can kind of endure that. That stuff doesn't affect him as much. But he does. He does. For the next eight to nine years, I worked with this person. I saw absolutely no influence for Christ for others from his life. He lived just like the world. He lived just like the world. This man, he completely lost his saltiness. He's no longer distinct from this world in the way that he lives. And we can all lose our saltiness if we begin to compromise in our lives. If we begin to allow impure things to enter into our lives, to begin to live in such a way that we're just like the rest of the world, where we're no longer distinct, we're no longer set apart. We're purposeless and useless in God's eyes in terms of representing him. Jesus, however, calls us to live as salt of this world. He calls us to represent Him, calls us to be distinct, calls us to be flavorful, calls us to maintain our saltiness. He said, you are salt. He said, don't try to be salt. You are. Live the way which you are created to live. Live in the way which I called you to live. Don't have a two life. Don't have a compartmentalized life of living. 
Don't compartmentalize your life. Don't have a two-hour Christian life on Sunday and then rest of the week you live a different way in front of unbelievers. Live one life and one life alone. Jesus died for you. He died for your entire life. He didn't die for a part of your life. He didn't die for two hours of your life on Sunday. He died for your entire life. He gave your life. He gave his life for us. He paid for our sins, our entire sin. He gave his righteousness to us to cover our entire lives. He gave his entire life for us so that we would give our entire life to him. So we live our lives in this world without any kind of compartment, compartmentalized living. One in front of Christians, one in front of unbelievers. Nor do we allow ourselves to be influenced with any kind of impurities that are coming in from this world. We live in front of others as we live in front of Jesus. Unashamedly, demonstrating a life of righteousness, demonstrating a life of holiness for God. Now, living for Jesus and living for the Lord is going to slow down the decay, the spiritual decay of this world it is, because people are going to feel somewhat reluctant to sin in front of you. Many of you experience that. They don't want to cuss in front of you. They don't want to sin in front of you. They don't want to talk dirty in front of you. They respect you in that way. However, our living in this world, our holy living in this world, is not going to result in this world becoming redeemed. I say it again. Our holy living in this world is only going to slow down, is going to slow down the spiritual decay, but it is not going to reverse the spiritual decay. Do you understand? Just the holy living by itself can only slow down the spiritual decay, but not reverse it. Only one thing, only one person can reverse the spiritual decay, and that is Jesus. Only Jesus can reverse the spiritual decay, which leads us to our next point. First, we saw that we're called to influence this world by our holy living, by living as salt in this world. Next, we're going to see that we're called by God to influence this world by our faithful proclaiming faithful preaching of Jesus and we do so as light of this world. We're called to faithfully proclaim Jesus and we do so as light to this world. Read with me now in verse 14 to verse 16. You are the light of this world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, given that God or Jesus just called man and woman to live for him righteously in this world as salt and thereby preserving this world from spiritual decay, he now calls us to actively shine forth the light of Christ by faithfully proclaiming and telling other people about Jesus. And why am I spot? You might spot the difference between salt and light in this way. Salt is different from light in the sense that when it's spread into the greater medium, when it's spread into the meat, it disappears. Right? When you spread when you pour salt on top of the meat, you rub it in into the meat, what happens to it? It's in the meat. It's gone. It's gone. You can't see it. You can't visibly say, you know what, that's, that's right. Sometimes you don't know if it's there or not. It's rubbed into it. However, its presence, its function is distinctly felt. 
You know it is there because it preserves the meat. You know it's there because you can taste it. You know it's there. Light is different. Light is different. Light does not change. When light shines onto an object, it's not going to change on the basis of the object. Light is light. It's going to be light no matter what it is. It's always going to reveal the object that it shines upon. You are always going to spot light. You're always going to see light. And from Scripture, we know what light is. From John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus calls himself what? Light of the world. He calls himself light of the world, and those who follow him will not walk in darkness, but they will walk in light. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says, The word of God, the Bible which you hold in front of you, is a lamp unto your feet. And what? Light unto your path. Light unto your path. You see, the world can change. However, Jesus and the Word of God never changes. And they are the lights of this world. You shine a light upon something, it is visible. You cannot see, you cannot deny its presence. You will see it. And these people, uh, these verses are commanding believers here, commanding us here, that if we live in righteousness for God, we shall also speak about Jesus tell others about Jesus, who God is, and thereby live as light to this world. As believers take light to this world, tell people about Jesus, tell people about the Word of God. In verse 14, Jesus then gave two pictorial illustrations how believers are now lights to this world. First of all, believers are city upon a hill. It says here in verse 14, you are a city upon a hill. Now, we don't really build cities upon a hill anymore because it's harder to live in a city that is upon a hill. The temperature differences are greater upon a hill. The weathers are harsher on the hill. You don't really want to build city on a hill. You want to build city in a valley where it's more comfortable in terms of temperature, in terms of weather. However, people back then, they built city on a hill for one reason, one reason alone. They don't want to be conquered. They don't want to be attacked. It is much, much harder to attack a city upon a hill. Rather be a little bit uncomfortable in terms of weather than to be conquered and taken to be a slave or taken captive by your enemies. So you would have cities upon a hill. And these cities upon the hill shine light to the surrounding region, tell everyone that this is a safe place for, for anyone to come and to rest and to take a break. Now, light comes out of the city to show everyone that this is a safe place to live ultimately because, ultimately because light comes out of the houses that are within the city. So Jesus then continues the illustration here indicating that nobody lights up a lamp inside the house and then put it under a basket as if we don't want it to shine onto whatever it is inside the house. The reason why is because even in our days, well, in Jesus' days, oil costs a lot of money, and you need oil to light up the lamp. Even in our days, whenever we leave a room, we leave the house, what do we do? We turn off the light, right? Would you just keep the light on and waste electricity? No, right? It's like, I'm going to be paying for that. It's obvious. It's obvious. So what, in Jesus' days, what they did is they had these lamps that are about two inches wide and three inches long, Little clay lamps, if you've seen them when we go to Israel, they put a little oil in there, they have a wick on top of it, and then light them up. And what that would do is they would keep 
the light going and they could take it to whatever room they needed to go to and would light up the house. And what they would do also, they would put on a stand so they could light up the maximum amount of area. It would make no sense for them to put it under a basket. That would just waste money. That would just waste money. It makes no sense at all. So like a city upon a hill and light in a house, believers serve as a guiding light to everyone in this world as they proclaim Jesus and God's word. So as salt, as salt, we live in such a way, as I explained, to slow down the decay of this world. As light, however, we're telling people about Jesus. Now, if you're only living as salt, if you're only living as salt, meaning that you're very moralistic, you're living out your Christian life for Jesus, but you never tell people about Jesus, people are not going to know. They're not going to know who Jesus is. But if they tell people about Jesus, then verse 14 happens, or verse 16 happens. If you tell people about Jesus, who he is, as you live out your life in holiness for God, they're going to give glory to the Father who is in heaven, as Jesus says in verse 16. I want to illustrate it with a story. We can live our lives perfectly for God in this world. Yes. You may live our lives moralistically, and everyone respects you, they love you for being who you are, but they will never know who Jesus is. They will never know who Jesus is simply by just watching your life. See, for a number of years, I work as a pastor, and I work in a corporate environment. I shared that with you. So I was faithfully doing my work in my working environment. Just faithfully. I don't cheat. I don't lie. I work I produce is a good quality. People like me. They thought of me as a good person. They knew that I was uh, working part-time at that job. So they thought I was a pastor. I told them I was a pastor, but I never really shared the gospel with a, a group of ladies that I will share about later on. Never shared the gospel with, with as, much, as many people as I wanted to because I was too busy. Too busy. Running in and out of the office, coming to work, earning the money I needed to live, and then run back to church to, like, to serve in the church. So this group of ladies called me into their office one day. They saw me. They realized I was a pastor, and I don't... Many people at work, they complain about their wives. If you've ever been in a corporate environment, they just complain and complain and complain about their wives, the way they spend money, or whatever it is, right? I don't complain about my wife. I enjoy my marriage. So this group of women called me to their office and asked me, hey, I, we, have a, we have an issue here. Uh, we have a relational problem here, a marriage problem. I want you to kind of give us your two cents of how we can uh, solve this problem. So list a problem to me and tell me, you know, this is happening between um, this lady right here and, 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 and um, her relationship with her boyfriend. So I said, you know what? I thought about it long and hard. I said, you know, the first thing that you must do, and I, this is what I do, is that you must believe that you're sinners before God. You must confess your sins and believe in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. As my wife and I, we both believe that we're sinners before God. And all of that belief for God, not believe for Jesus, then you have the power to change. You have the humility to change. You have the, 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 the growth that you needed for one another. So some of the women then spoke to me. They, they countered me. I said, you know what? Richard, you're not a, that bad of a person. You're not a sinner. You're decent. You take care of your family, don't you? 
You don't have to go through that process and confessing your sins to God. You know, I was pushing off the praises, but I realized one thing. I realized one thing. I realized in this process that people are not going to come to Christ simply by looking at your life. They're not. They're not going to come to Christ simply by looking at your life. You can live perfectly, but if you don't open your mouth for Jesus, they're not going to know who He is. They're not going to know who He is. They're going to give glory to you. Right? They're going to give glory to you. You're a pretty good person, but not like verse 16. Not like what He says here. They're not going to give glory to your Father in Heaven because you never told them who your Father in Heaven is. Jesus, however, calls us to live as lights to this world. And living as lights results in us telling others about Jesus, about God in heaven. He spoke these words because we are called to reflect the true light, the true light of Christ. We're called to tell other people that Jesus came to earth to die for our sins on the cross, to pay for the penalty of our sins, to give His perfect righteousness to us so that we may be restored to the Father, He calls us to reflect that light to others so that others may know why we live the way which we live. So today, we take our proper place in representing Jesus to this world. We represent Jesus by living a life of purity in this world. We do. Don't ever lose that. We should live as salt in this world. We should live as those who are holy and righteous in this world, we should live as example, spiritual examples to others. We should, should slow down the spiritual decay of this world. We should do so with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our families who do not believe in Jesus. However, we're not just those who slow down spiritual decay of this world. We are also serving ultimately as those who are reversing the spiritual decay of this world by telling people about Jesus. We tell people about Jesus when people come and ask us, when they see our lives, why we live the way we live, we tell them about Jesus, we don't just give some kind of moralistic answer, that you should live this way because you're, I don't know, Republican or Democrat. You're living this way because of Jesus. You're also living this way because your commitment, you're living this way because of your commitment for Christ. We tell people, even before they ask us who Jesus is, we tell them about Jesus. If people believe unto Jesus, their sins are paid for, they may pure in Christ, their souls are restored to God, they may more, they're made more and more like Him as the kingdom of God is brought into their hearts. And as we all undergo this process of being made more and more like Jesus, we also come to church as a church together even here this morning and throughout our weeks to encourage one another how we can live as salt and light in this world. As more and more people come to know Jesus and more and more people come into our church because of our example, because of our lives as salt and light to this world, this process continues. This process of drawing people continues. And the kingdom of God is going to come as we are all brought into His kingdom in that internal day where there's no sickness, death, or decay. God is calling us 
to influence this world for Christ. We're called to influence this world through our faithful living for Jesus. We're called to influence this world through our faithful proclaiming of Jesus. As we shine for Christ in this world, we simply cannot control how other people are going to respond. We cannot. In the day that I was counseling my friends, in that day I was telling them about Jesus and the only way which they can affect this world and affect changes in their own lives is if they believe in Christ. They must know Jesus. And the conversation was cut short rather quickly. They walked away. I thought they were, perhaps they were looking for some kind of Dr. Phil kind of answer, some kind of moralistic answer in which they can be motivated by or some kind of motivation that they can get from me. So they walked away and others went back to work. I was very discouraged, except for one believer, one lady that was there that was in a conversation who was also a believer. She stayed and we talked. She had worked there for about 20 years before I did and saw people come to Christ at work. She encouraged me that she is now slowly working on these women that she is with. She's living for Jesus in front of them. And this, she's seeing changes, but she's also very glad that I was able to come into this conversation and offer a specific message about Jesus. See, people must process for themselves what it means to live for Jesus, and that's going to take time for them. God saves through the example of our lives and our message about Jesus. So therefore, in our world and wherever you're at, you can live confidently for Christ, living righteously for Him, knowing that God's going to use that to bring people to Him, but at the same time live in such a way that you're telling people about Jesus because God's going to use your message to draw people to Him as well. Now, we simply cannot maintain all the relationships that we build with people in this world. We cannot. Because we move jobs, we move locations, we even pass away in this world. However, I know for certain that God's going to use our testimony more than that we can realize, more than we realize as salt and light of this world to save people. In heaven, you and I are going to see many people we don't expect. Do you know that? We're going to see many people we don't expect, many faces we don't expect because God saved them through our testimony as salt and light to this world even after we're no longer able to maintain the relationship with them. In the end, together, we're going to give glory to God forever and ever for His grace and mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this passage when we can understand what it means to live as salt and light to this world. God, you call us to live righteously, to live with pure lives so that we may set an example to slow down the decay of this world, but at the same time to tell others about Jesus so that they may know how they can reverse that decay and come to know you and be in the kingdom where there is no decay, there is no death. Father, we desire for all to know you, all to worship you. Lord, we pray, Father, that our lives truly may bring others to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.